Hey, Ravens Flock. Before we start today's show, we wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the death of George Floyd, a member of the Ravens Flock. We've seen the Ravens players and organizations stand up against this social injustice, and we're with them too. To all our black listeners, your lives matter. In the show notes, we've included some links for ways to help. And with that, let's take a moment to respect all the lives that have been lost recently. Welcome back to Ravens Recap. Thanks so much for listening to our schedule preview episode. If you missed it, it's episode 51. Uh, This is episode 52, big Ray Lewis number of the podcast. Super exciting. And also, if you haven't checked out Ray Lewis's podcast, Everyday Greatness, that's actually pretty good. (laughs) I I, I binge listened to it uh, this weekend, and I would recommend it. Have you guys listened to that or Tori's podcast? I've listened to a couple episodes of Tori's podcast. I haven't listened to Ray's yet. I'll have to put that on the queue. Yeah, I haven't either, actually. Haven't really been uh, listening to a whole lot of podcasts. Haven't really gotten to rhythm since, you know, all of our commutes are kind of kind of uh, erased at the moment. But yeah, I'll have, to, uh, I'll have to take a look. Yeah, Ray Lewis's podcast is relatively new. I was really behind on Tories and um, kind of like halfway through now. I think I just finished the Ed Reed episode. Um, and, and Chris, your suggestion of Ed Reed's was what made me start listening to his show. So yeah, definitely recommend checking those out but this show for us is gonna be a little bit different it's kind of the state of the division so we went ahead and researched each of our divisional rivals and kind of looked at their changes looked at their drafts look at their positional groups and kind of figured out what we expect them to do this year and their window going forward yeah absolutely and you know while this topic isn't you know explicitly about the ravens i think how the division uh, stacks up is definitely going to have an impact on how the Ravens perform year in and year out. And, you know, we look forward to those games. We look forward to when the division is, is strong and the Ravens are the strongest of a strong group of teams. And last year, you know, it was a little bit of a down year for the division outside of the Ravens. But I think as we're going to look at the, the teams coming up here, I would say to some varying degree, all three of these teams are going to be better this coming season, which is going to make the Ravens' quest to defend the AFC North title a little more difficult. I think one thing to keep in mind is, even though you're always trying to build the best football team and a team that can beat those teams that you look at as the big teams, big competitors in the division, like maybe like the Chiefs, right? You're trying to combat the Chiefs, or you maybe years ago you're trying to combat what the Patriots were doing. At the end of the day, you need to win your division first. So... The way that the division shapes itself, I think it does influence the way the Ravens approach free agency and the draft. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of bringing that uh, point back that you just made there, Alec, in, the, in that the Ravens are definitely one of the teams this year, um, like the Chiefs or like the Patriots have been in the past, where they're the team to go after. And so, you know, looking at the teams here, you know, as I was researching the Bengals, that was my team, a lot of the free agency moves were made in response to what the Ravens were doing last year. And it became really, really clear to me as I was doing the research. I was like, oh, crap. Yeah, I know exactly why they picked up this player. It's because, you know, Lamar Jackson ran over the Bengals, you know, all year. (laughs) Right? Oh, he broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage and he's got a touchdown. Yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah, it's you know it's kind of cool when you take it from that lens too of you know the Ravens being a fourteen and two team. You know they know that they have a target on their back, and the rest of the NFL is going to be trying to make moves to catch up with them. So yeah, I I think from that angle it was uh, it was super interesting. I think for me to be able to do this sort of research is kind of cool. Awesome. Yeah, I greatly enjoyed looking into the Browns, and that's who we're going to actually start off with. Guys, I know we like to hate on the team. We talked about them winning the preseason Super Bowl last year. There was so much hype around them. But I got to say, when you look at their team, you look at everything they've done this year, gosh, there was a reason there was so much hype around this team. I think it'd be foolish not to at least consider them as a threat this year. I think they, obviously our team's extremely good, and I think we're going to win the division. But the Browns, with a few areas of improvement and maybe a little bit of a surprise, right? Like a little bit, oh, this player got better than we expected. They could be extremely good as well. So it might be a, a powerhouse division. They got a new head coach. We talked about this a couple episodes ago. Kevin Stefanski. This guy was the offensive coordinator of the Vikings last year. And if you look at the press release the Browns had about him, they're like, oh, he led one of the most balanced attacks in all the NFL which I thought was kind of interesting. But it kind of makes sense why they would care about that because they have a lot of good receivers and a lot of probably the best running backs in the league, period. Kevin's going to be trying to break a 12-year losing streak by the Browns. I didn't realize it was that bad. I knew they had, I guess they've been so close to breaking that losing streak, uh, losing record streak, but uh, haven't happened in 12 years. Well, I think what really throws you off with that uh, statistic is if you remember in 2014, it was like week 11 in the NFL at Ravens, Steelers, no, sorry, Ravens, Bengals, and Browns all tied at seven and three and the Steelers were eight and two. And then the Browns compl- uh, went on to lose their last six games. So they were just right there on the doorstep of a winning season <laughs> and still couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, the Browns, you got to feel for that fan base. They have a very loyal fan base for as much they just have had go wrong the past two decades, really, unfortunately, ever since they had their franchise rebooted. But yeah, I agree with you, Alec, that they have a lot of talent on this team, young talent that just needs, I think, a coach, a a sane head, doesn't even necessarily (laughs) need to be a mastermind to just teach these guys how to be a professional unit. And I think a unit's the key word, because you have guys on that team, I think, who, who are professionals, and did have good years last year, but it just doesn't seem like they're they're a team. They were a team last year. They were just too many individuals and not enough of a cohesive unit set on the same goal. Yeah, I agree, Peter. Let's talk about the draft picks real quick, and then we'll go into kind of why I think we know so many names on this team, but they didn't succeed last year. So if you look at the draft, they had the 10th overall pick. They picked up Jedrick Wills, offensive tackle of Alabama. He slotted to play on the left-hand side. They also picked up Grant Delpit, safety out of LSU. I remember that was one of the big guys that Ken McCusick of Film Study was interested in. Then they got some defensive tackle help with Jordan Elliott to try to bolster the depth there. Picked up a linebacker, Jacob Phillips of LSU as well. So him and Grant will be playing together. And the interesting thing about Jacob Phillips is that he was actually drafted one pick ahead of. Malik Harrison. So that's kind of interesting, both linebackers. Yeah, and that would have been really cool if the Ravens had picked up him too because that would have been two LSU linebackers 
with him and Patrick Queen playing next to each other. Ozzy would have melted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't do that to Ozzy. <laughs> In the fourth round, this is interesting. Mackey Award winner Harrison Bryant, tight end out of Florida Atlantic. So now their tight ends are getting interesting. Increase their depth at center with Nick Harris, their fifth round selection. And then the sixth round, very interestingly, Donovan People Jones, wide receiver out of Michigan. I talked about him in the wide receiver analysis, and I'll get it to him when we talk about more of the positions. But uh, that was an interesting pick. I couldn't believe he fell all the way to the sixth round. So let's start off with, I think, something we can all agree upon. This year will be the defining year for Baker Mayfield. They did a lot to revamp the offensive line this year. They improved with the tight end addition of Austin Hooper in free agency. They put all these tools around them. I think if you were playing in Madden, the Browns would actually be really fun to play with. You know, <laughs> like they have a lot of great offensive weapons. So the question is, is he going to be able to bounce back from a slacking sophomore year or is his NFL career just going to be a flash in the pan and they're going to have to start figuring out what their next steps are as a franchise? Oof. Yeah, if you're the Browns, you're really hoping, obviously, that Baker is the guy you thought he was after that rookie year because... Is there any franchise that goes back into the quarterback pool as often and as frequently as the Browns? I don't think there no. is. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was looking at that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's really hard to to know what to think about, about Baker. I mean, his across the board, his numbers went down. I mean, completion percentage went down. Touchdowns went down. Interceptions went up. Hardly had more passing yards than he did in 2018, despite the fact that he played two more games, and then same number of wins as the previous season, although starting three more games. Uh, I, I think Baker has, he certainly has talent, whether or not he has, you know, consistent Pro Bowl quarterback uh, and, and playoff winning quarterback talent, I'm not sure. But there is definitely a part of his game mentally that's just not there yet that he needs to work through. And also just some patience in, in the pocket. I, I don't have it up right now, but I'm pretty sure that he's one of the quickest release quarterbacks in the NFL. If he can let, get the game to slow down and just be a little more professional, he's got, he's definitely got talent to succeed. I think the question is just, is his ceiling serviceable NFL starter or a pro bowler? Yeah, I think you guys have it right. I, I think Baker's progression year three is going to be probably the biggest storyline coming out of the Browns camp uh, and in the next season as a neutral observer here you know I would say the the thing to keep in mind too is maybe not to put too many expectations for Baker like so Peter you brought up like you know is this guy's ceiling is he a serviceable starter or is he a pro bowl quarterback the thing to keep in mind right I mean the Ravens are coming off 14-2 season so you know as the neutral observer I mean I'm saying there that the Ravens you know, with their moves that they made in the offseason are probably expected to be just as good as they were last year. Maybe, maybe not a little bit better, right? And so you had the Steelers last year who are also like very, very good defense. And we'll talk more about the moves that they made later. But, you know, I think people are probably expecting them to be a little bit better uh, because Roethlisberger will be coming back and, and a bunch of other moves that they made. And so I think the Browns are going to have a tough time, especially with the other... Uh, teams in the division to be able to make a push for the playoffs, you know, unless they do a really, really good job and win a lot of games. So, 
you know, I, I would say that I think Baker can can make steps forward to improve as a quarterback, to improve his mental game. But, you know, I, I wouldn't put, you know, I, I as, as a Browns fan, I wouldn't say like, oh, the Browns need to make a playoffs, you know, otherwise like Baker's a scrub and we need to start over. Like, I wouldn't take that mindset because I just don't think that's fair to him to like, and the team to like put that high of expectations on there knowing like, okay, there's going to be a lot of competition and a lot of stuff that we can't really control with the other teams in the division. Yeah, their record and all the records in the AFC North, I think, are depressed a bit just because of the quality of teams. So I definitely understand what you're saying there. I think one of the big things, too, with Baker, a lot of his digression, so to speak, last year, I think could be attributed to the offensive line. And I think it's actually just worth going straight there because I've been being around the bush. I think the offensive line was the biggest problem for the offense and maybe even the whole team last year. So what did they do? They completely rebuilt it. They went ahead and they signed Jack Conklin, eighth overall pick back in the day from the Titans. He's going to go ahead and be the right tackle. He helped Derrick Henry have a really successful season last year. And then, of course, with the left side, they went and got uh, their new offensive tackle and Jedrick Wills. And uh, he's actually replacing a second overall pick, Greg Robinson, who was a total bust. Their center and left guard, are actually pretty decent in J.C. Treader and Joel Batonio. But uh, there's definitely going to be a competition for that right guard spot. So I think similar to last year when we had our left guard controversy, they're going to have their right guard controversy. But yeah, I think their offensive line's totally rebuilt. I think it's going to be much better, particularly on the edges. So I'm thinking that Baker's going to have a lot more time in the pocket. Apparently last year, um, he would roll out a lot, and the defenses were able to scheme against that. So they were trying to like compensate for the fact that the offensive line was terrible uh, by just getting him out of the pocket. And uh, it, it caused them to be very kind of one-dimensional. So also looking at offensive line play, I found this really interesting statistic about Chubb. So Nick Chubb, great running back, one of the best running backs in the league. Apparently, for how many opportunities he had inside the 10-yard line, he should have had six more touchdowns than he had. Is that bonkers? Six more touchdowns. So uh, compared to like his peers, I think that has to do a lot with the offensive line play being so poor. They weren't getting a good push. and He was unable to finish at the goal line. I don't think it has much to do with Chubb's ability because we know how, how good he is. So I thought that was really interesting. I felt like that could change games, right? And I was looking at it, you know, they had a pretty big difference in score. But if you look at it, it was a lot of runaway games and then a decent amount of close games. So, honestly, you know, they could have been maybe a 7 or 8 win team last year if they just had a little bit better conversion rate with Chubb. Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying there. I mean, other NFL analysts talk all the time about, you know, when you're trying to find who are going to be the teams that that switch record-wise from year to year, who overperformed, underperformed, they'll look at those uh, records in close games as one of the first things that you look at and it's probably the easiest thing to look at like for instance the Green Bay Packers last year had a disproportionate record in in close games and so some analysts are already looking at the Packers as a team primed for regression this year but yeah I think when you're pointing out not just at the close game record but also individual player performance relative to league average is also something to consider when you're looking at teams that might make a swing because you would expect that to balance out 
in the coming seasons for Chubb. And we all know that the foundation of any good offense is the offensive line. So a retooled offensive line is certainly something to watch out for in, in giving the Browns more stability. All right. So then going to the wide receivers, we all know Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. They're the obvious one and two of this offense. Really no debate there. Two excellent wide receivers. OBJ is coming off an injury, so their fans are definitely hoping he'll have a season that is more indicative of his success in New York. I wanted to talk a little bit about Donovan Peoples-Jones, also known as DPJ. He's joining OBJ. Uh, He's definitely going to be looking to contribute as the third wide receiver in this offense. They've had a lot of failed projects with Callaway and Higgins. But he also had like the best vertical jump in the combine, strong runner after the catch. One of his biggest knocks was that he had a lot of expectations going into Michigan and he never was like fantastic and that he doesn't look as fast on the field as he does in just raw measurables. But he could definitely produce and if he only is expected to be the third wide receiver on this team, not necessarily have to be the one or two, I think he could succeed. Uh, and, and make an impact early on. I mean, I remember Callaway was kind of another flash-in-the-pan player, but he couldn't keep his problems off the field from interfering with his play. I don't know. I think he might be able to produce. Also, when you look at their tight end group, uh, that's a big change. They spent a first-round pick, I believe 29th overall, on Njoku, and he never really panned out. He just frequently drops the ball and didn't give confidence to the team. So they went ahead and they picked up Austin Hooper out of Atlanta, who was having a gangbusters season before he got hurt. He was absolutely wrecking the league. And I'm curious to see how his impact is on this offense, how he's going to be utilized uh, under Stefanski's scheme. And also remember Harrison Bryant, who was the uh, Mackey Award winner for most exceptional tight end college. Uh, he, he could also produce. So it looks like the Browns are trying to take a play out of the Ravens playbook of having three serviceable tight ends and mix and match based off of what they need. Is Ricky Seals-Jones still there? Sorry, Chris probably has a relevant point to say. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was going to say, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, they've kind of taken a a play out of the Ravens playbook, but I mean, I also don't think the Ravens would spend top dollar on a tight end. I mean, we, we thought originally that they did when they signed Nick Boyle, but I mean, looking at that contract and comparing it to Austin Hooper's, you feel like we got Boyle at a discount there. But that being said though, I mean, I, I, I mean, I really like the, the Hooper signing for the Browns. If I were a neutral observer slash Browns fan, I think he could be a really good weapon for Baker, really provide that sort of reliable target. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Alec, he was a baller in Atlanta, you know, a really good uh, pass catcher really helped, you know, round out the uh, the receiving core that Matt Ryan had. And, uh, yeah, I mean, knowing Baker and, and how much he wants to throw the football, I think Cooper is just kind of a, a really good match uh, for that. So we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, Ricky Seals-Jones has moved on to the Chiefs. And, yeah, Austin Hooper almost has more guaranteed money. His is a four-year contract. Boyles, I believe, was a three-year, $18 million contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, he, yeah, he's guaranteed $23 million over those four years. So almost the same money rate as uh, as Boyle, and just guaranteed. But then, of course, uh, up to $44 million in total worth of the contract fee goes the whole time. So, yeah, very big difference. Switching sides of the ball, defensive line, their starters are exceptional. Miles Garrett's going to be coming back from his suspension. Uh, Larry 
Ogunjobi and Sheldon Richardson and Oliver Vernon. They're all excellent. When they're all on the field together, they can wreak some havoc. They had problems with that last year because of suspensions and injuries where having the whole unit together only happened for a couple games. So they did try to address that depth problem with uh, third-round pick Jordan Elliott. As we know, it's difficult for defensive linemen to make an immediate impact, but I imagine he'll be able, as a third-round pick, probably be serviceable and take a good amount of snaps. With linebackers, this is another interesting one. Sometimes this happens where the fifth-round pick last year, Mac Wilson, outperformed the third-round pick in uh, Sion Takitaki. I remember he- always hearing Takitaki's name just because it's so memorable uh, in the broadcast. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Mr. Takitaki did not perform quite as well. They're going to le- definitely look for him to step up with uh, Joe Schobert and Kirksley both leaving the team. So there's definitely a hole there. And of course, they drafted Jacob Phillips in the third round to also compete as a, uh, as a linebacker. Yeah, you definitely have to think that this position group is probably one of the weakest on the Browns roster overall. I mean, I know Schobert and, and Christian Kirksey weren't you know really great linebackers, but I think that they played pretty well. I guess didn't live up to the expectations that the Browns uh, front office wanted out of them. But yeah, I mean, you know, just looking on paper, it definitely seems a little weak. The good news is, is that their D-line is still, as long as they're healthy, they're going to be monsters. Um, you know, I'm sure, uh, I, I feel like at least for the first game that the Ravens played against them, I'm pretty sure all four of them were on the field for the second game. I want to say almost all of them were as well. And yeah, they were an absolute nightmare for us. Not looking forward to playing their D-line again this year, for sure. To round out their team, looking at the secondary, um, Denzel Ward is still one of the best corners in the league, and Greedy Williams actually was one of the top-ranked cornerbacks last year. He actually fell to them in the second round. They gave away their first-round pick to go ahead and get OBJ. So he had a pretty good rookie debut, and now they're looking for a nickel corner after letting uh, TJ Carey go. So that's kind of the state of the cornerback position. And then from the safeties, this group was horrid last year. Uh, but they quickly addressed it with LSU's Grant Delpit that we talked about earlier. And even though this offseason is going to be modified due to COVID, I think he has a solid chance of starting the year as the starter. And then second-year player uh, Redwine is looking to grow from a rookie season. Uh, He had some flashes, but also some inconsistencies. But they definitely think that Redwine might be their uh, player to play alongside Delpit going forward. Yeah, I mean, that that unit definitely needed an overhaul, like you said. I think we all remember how the Ravens were able to exploit the the safeties in that game in Cleveland last year where uh, the Browns are still trying to figure out where Mark Andrews is on the field. They're still going over to tape <laughs> with that one. But, yeah, I, I agree with you that, that Delpit is really intriguing and might be a guy that we hear often in the telecast when – these two teams meet for their games this coming season and might be a guy that Ravens fans might have to, you know, see the, a lot of in the coming years, but certainly an improved unit overall by the Browns. Uh, you know, it's not just they're on the offensive side where they've got some skill, you know, their, their defense, they've got, they've got some potential there. Teams definitely shouldn't sleep on that side of the ball. Well, that's all I have. I didn't really look too closely at the special teams. I think that's a pretty fluid positional group every year. I know that they drafted a, a kicker recently, but uh, yeah, that's about all I had. All right. Well, I guess that means I'm up. Like I said earlier, I had the Cincinnati Bengals. So I wanted to start a little bit with kind of 
going over the 2019 kind of expectations coming into last year and then you know compare that contrast that with what's going on this year so the thing to remember um Bengals had a first year head coach last year Zach Taylor so this will be his second year coming in from everything that I could find going into 2019 I think the expectations for the Bengals team were that team's basically been blown up the roster is completely overhauled and so Mr. Taylor is kind of given a shot, you know, a multi-year thing to be able to rebuild this team uh, in the way that he sees it. And so fortunately for the Bengals, they've kept him on. So it's not like he's a one-year deal, but given a chance to kind of grow the team a little bit more. The other big news, we all knew this, kind of scratching our head the whole time. You know, where's AJ Green? What's he doing? Uh, he had a ankle injury in the preseason and just never got on the field. I think it was like week 11 or week 12 they finally put him on IR because, you know, they realized, okay, he's not coming back this year. So, you know, one big storyline going into 2020 is just, you know, is is he actually going to be back? And, you know, is he going to be the A.J. Green that Ravens fans have been scared of for the last, you know, five, ten years? That'll be another big thing to watch. And honestly, you know, looking at it, too, there were just a lot of, a lot of holes in the roster here. So... Um, offensive line was was definitely a big weak spot for the Bengals a lot of that had to do with losing rookie Jonah Williams last year he was kind of slated to come in at left tackle and really hold down that spot unfortunately he had a injury in the preseason was put on IR he missed the whole year Uh, the guy who was uh, supposed to replace him in the tackle spot uh, Cordy Glenn from Buffalo um, was actually out for half the season so he only played about seven or eight games that season as well. So there are a lot of moving pieces, and, and the pieces that were there, not particularly good. And, you know, and then defense, man. <laughs> Anybody not named Geno Atkins or uh, Carlos Dunlap, I guess, um, really weren't all that great. I mean, you guys saw Lamar's spin move. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's going to be seeing that swim move for the rest of time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, nobody could stop him. Uh, he used to put Nick Vigil on skates, and, uh, you know, nobody else could really catch him. The next section I want to go into, you know, Alec, I, I know that you feel that, you know, free agency is all about, you know, filling holes that, you know, you really should be have filled uh, with draft picks and uh, younger players. But I think it's really important to bring up for the Bengals because they had so many holes last season. I think there are a few interesting signings here um, for a couple of reasons. One of just you know where they decided to fill the positions I think are pretty interesting. But two, I think it's even more surprising because the Bengals are not a team known for going after uh, high-quality free agents. Uh, their owner is like kind of infamous for not spending big in free agency, which if you're somebody like Ozzie Newsom, that's great because that means you have a reputation for drafting players and building them up and, and not needing to go out and spend a bunch of money on free agents. But when you're the Bengals and you only have a couple of winning seasons <laughs> in your career, like, you know, that's not something you really want to be known for. But, um, but yeah, there, there's a, there's a bunch of them here and I know a couple of them you guys have heard of. So the first one I thought was really interesting is that they picked up defensive tackle DJ reader out of Houston and I know we talked a lot about him uh, when we did our Houston recap episode. And, you know, he was a really good player, good run stuffer, an underrated pass rusher playing in the middle of Houston's D-line. I think he's a very, very good signing. Um, and to me, it just makes a ton of sense 
picking up a guy like this to plug next to Geno Adkins as a way to bolster the unit and to help cut down on the number one rushing attack uh, of the Ravens. And also, you know, other players in the division like Nick Chubb also talked about. He's not a slouch. He's a very good running back. And uh, James Conner uh, for the Steelers. So yeah, this is a one signing. I, you know, I'm not happy about it. <laughs> it would have definitely been cool to to not see uh, DJ in the Bengals uniform, but I think this is going to be a big move for them. Yeah, sheesh. DJ Reader next to Geno Atkins. That's a, a scary combo, like you said. And when you've got maybe one of the best running uh, divisions in the league, you know, the AFC North's known for being a smash mouth football kind of division. And I think that's clear with, uh, you know, Chubb, and I, I forgot to even mention him, uh, Kareem Hunt on the Browns, another excellent player who, when he came in, they started doing more of the pony backfield and uh, kind of mixing it up there, but playing both of them at the same time. So I think in this division, you got Lamar Jackson, obviously, and our four running backs that they want to run this year. Uh, <laughs> and then and I'm looking forward to the conversation we'll have about the Steelers running backs, because I think they're in a transition, but they uh, have had success on the ground as well. Notorious for having a great offensive line. This is a great pickup for the Bengals. That's a great point that, you know, you got to build your, your defense to, to combat the strengths of your, of your opponents in, in your division. And DJ Reader was a very good player in Houston and is likely going to continue to do well in Cincinnati. And then the secondary acquisitions are interesting as well, bringing in those two young, younger corners. I say younger, they're middle-aged for NFL players our age. <laughs> 26 and 27. (laughs) And then I think Von Bell is, you have here that he was 24th among safeties according to Pro Football Focus last year. So, you know, that's kind of middle of the pack, but still, you know, he could be a solid player to help shore up a defense that was, you know, among the bottom of the league last year. I do think it is funny though, Chris, as you're mentioning the uh, Bengals and how they're usually don't spend big in free agency. I, I kind of have always thought of the Bengals, uh, at least in the last decade or so, the, the Bengals and the, unfortunately, Baltimore Orioles are kind of like, you know, analogous to each other in that, <laughs> in that sense. You know, the Orioles very rarely get, get big free agent signings, and when they do, they never pan out, at least how, how you thought they would. It's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. But, yeah, I mean... I think if you're a Bengals fan, you're really happy about Reader. You're intrigued with Bell. And some of these other guys could work out. But yeah, I think some of these guys, it's might be more of a more variance than than you would want in a free agent signing. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the, the corners definitely Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander, both from Minnesota. I thought that was kind of funny, actually. It's, it's not often that you uh, have that many free agents for the same position group. And it's also not often that you sign... You know, one team signs both of them from the same team. Right. Yeah, I was surprised to see that. Gosh. And they're not even like like brothers. Like, uh, you know, when the <laughs> when the when the Phoenix Suns had uh, the Morris twins. You know, <laughs> at least if they are related, I wasn't aware. No, I I don't think they are. But it's definitely interesting. I mean, you know, I guess I'm not surprised. You know, there is I think still that Mike Zimmer connection. Um, obviously, he's the head coach over in Minnesota. So I think the Bengals. Must have decided, hey, you know, uh, we like Zimmer. We know what he was about. <laughs> he can develop defensive players. Maybe let's uh, let's sign two of these guys and and hope at least one, but maybe both of them pan out. 
uh, over in Cincinnati. But I think the the particularly interesting thing about these guys is that really you have to take a look at who the Bengals let go this season to know why that they signed both of them. And, and that's because cornerbacks uh, Dre Kirkpatrick and Darquez Denard, both of them actually not re-signed uh, by the Bengals this year. Um, in Kirkpatrick's case, he was actually released, and Denard was uh, a free agent. But both of those guys have been with the Bengals for quite a few years and, and really just never performed a, a, to expectations. Uh, I think both of them were first-round picks near the you know middle of the first round. So, I mean, you, you know, you'd think that at least one of them would have panned out, um, but unfortunately for the Bengals, neither of them really did. And so that's kind of why they had to put so much money into the you know cornerback market. It's because probably going into the draft, they're like, well, we're going to get a quarterback because Andy Dalton's not going to be back. So we're really not going to have a lot of draft capital to go out and get some corners. So we need to just sign some bodies. Um, because unfortunately, uh, William Jackson is their one really consistently good cornerback, but he's only one guy. You know, He can't cover all the receivers on the field. So... Uh, they really needed to go out and spend a bunch of money to be able to bring these guys in. But yeah, and then, as you said, Peter, Von Bell, uh, safety they signed out of New Orleans. Um, I definitely expect him to kind of round out the uh, safety group. So right now the Bengals have Sean Williams and Jesse Bates. They're a fairly good combo so far. You know, looking at their depth chart, it, it kind of seemed like there weren't a whole lot of uh, options behind those two guys. So I think adding a, a veteran player like Von Bell, who's been around on started at several defenses, I think it's a good move for them to kind of add some competition, add some depth uh, to that position group as well. So I think, you know, out of a lot of these signings here, you know, DJ Reader is definitely the one that stands out as being a really good one. But Von Bell could also turn out to be a pretty good signing as well. There's probably two more signings here I think are you know, particularly interesting and notable. Next one, Xavier Suafilo as a guard out of Dallas. So he actually started a couple of games for Dallas uh, this past year in 2019. So honestly, I think as far as I've seen, he's supposed to kind of come in and at least compete for probably the right guard spot. I think he might be the, you know, impending starter, I guess, kind of penciled in. Honestly, I'm, I'm not you know, I'm not too sure about this guy. I mean, he seemed to, you know, before Dallas was on another team or two, you know, I think he could be serviceable. And so I only really bring him up is because he's kind of in the competition for that right guard spot. But I think we'll have to see, you know, to actually figure out, you know, what kind of player he's going to be for the Bengals. Um, but if you add that to getting second year player Jonah Williams back, I think that'll definitely help their offensive line. Although, Arguably, you know, I think the Bengals probably should have put a little bit more capital into um, their offensive line this year. Uh, you'd have to think that, you know, probably they're expecting to probably get uh, more help in the draft uh, the following year, similar to what the Browns did. And then the last guy uh, is only notable because it was a departure of a former Raven. Josh Bynes decided to leave for Cincinnati. And so. You know, Alec, I still know that you owe this guy a beer, but it might be kind of hard for him to cash that in right now. Josh, I'm sorry I didn't get it to you sooner. I think COVID might have gotten in the way. I don't know. Uh, no. <laughs> but, man, you, you know, just got to hit me up. Go see each other at Mother's. Go to your favorite watering hole. I don't care. Uh, you're going to have to come to Baltimore at least once this season. So when you come on through, hit me up. I'll, I'll buy you that beer. Just don't wreck any of the Ravens. That's all I ask. No injuries, please. 
But yeah, no, I still appreciate you, Josh Bynes. Unfortunately, the Ravens had other ideas with their linebackers, as we know they drafted two inside linebackers this year. But I still have a soft spot for Josh Bynes. But yeah, and then the only other you know notable thing for the Bengals, although you know it's it's kind of sadder news, is that Andy Dalton, the flaming tomato, as coined by Peter, um, <laughs> was released by the Bengals, and now he's going to be backing up or starting in Dallas. We're still not sure what's going to happen with Dak and and all that stuff, but we can talk about that in another podcast. But yeah, that was kind of all the free agency for the Bengals. A whole lot of people signed. I think a lot of holes have been kind of filled in free agency. But I guess we should move on to the 2020 draft because you can't talk about that without talking about Joe Burrow, quarterback from LSU, taken first overall by the Bengals. Hometown guy. I think a lot of people expect him to be pretty good uh, coming out of the gate. What do you guys think? So I admit I still haven't watched any film on Burrow, but one thing that that does give me question about him is it wasn't until – 2019 that the guy came on in uh, college football. Now, part of that was, you know, somewhat out of his control. He started out at Ohio State and just wasn't getting on the field. So that's why he transferred to LSU. But yeah, it's 2018 in LSU, uh, 57% completion percentage, 16 touchdowns to five interceptions, and then exploded in 2019 with 76% uh, completion percentage, 60 touchdowns, six picks. I know I'm just reading a stat sheet. I'm, that's not actually looking at what was the differences in LSU's offense and team personnel. But I guess one question I have about Burrow is he only had one exceptional year of college football, and that came at a pretty old age, relatively speaking. You know, he's already 23 years old going into his first year. For comparison, that's older than Lamar Jackson is right now. So that is one thing that I have a question about with him is he was a late bloomer in college football and the success he did have was at a time when he was one of the oldest people on the the field. That's an interesting point, Peter, about Joe Burrow's age. I did notice that as well. But I got to say, the fantasy community, at least, is so excited about this guy. I've been seeing a lot of dynasty trades to try to go and get Joe Burrow. That maybe there's something there. I don't know. Like similar to you, I don't watch enough enough college football film to really be able to say one thing or the other. But I will actually point this out. We've already talked about all of these players, but four of the thirteen people drafted from LSU this year are in the AFC North, which is a pretty high percentage. So I just wanted to point that out. Well, yeah. I mean, I will say the the one thing about Burrow, I think that you know is is going to be particularly interesting is really the supporting cast around him so you know outside of the offensive line I mean we kind of talked about that it's still sort of a weak unit there are a few new pieces but honestly I think if you asked a lot of Bengals fans I wouldn't I don't think that they would have a whole lot of optimism you know they might have like some cautious optimism because they are getting their rookie Jonah Williams back but they really haven't significantly updated it so I think that's probably going to come next year the year after that but what I would be excited about are the weapons that Burrow is going to have at his disposal. So, I mean, Joe Mixon, I mean, we already know about this guy. Alec loves this guy. Um, very, <laughs> very good running back. In fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> loves him in fantasy. He's a very good running back. So, you know, it's definitely good to have uh, someone like that pair with a rookie quarterback for sure. Um, the other thing to keep in mind, too, so the, the first pick that they took in the second round, uh, wide receiver T. Higgins. He's going to be a good weapon for the Bengals. And you add that on top of an already 
in my opinion, a pretty stacked position group, even if A.J. Green doesn't come back, right, or if he doesn't play up to, you know, his uh, ability that he's shown the the last few years, you still have Tyler Boyd, Uh, you're going to add T. Higgins, you're going to have Auden Tate, who was a pretty underrated player last year, Uh, certainly Ravens fans should know, he was abusing Maurice Kennedy that Mm -hmm. one game. Yep. So, I mean, honestly, you know, you've got a lot of weapons in the receiver room. You've got a great running back to pair with them. That's a pretty good position to be in, even if your offensive line isn't the best. So he, I think he's certainly going to have every opportunity, you know, to show that he's going to be the guy for Cincinnati. I just hope he doesn't develop bad habits, right? Because, I mean, we just talked about this with Baker Mayfield. This guy has all the tools around him, and he couldn't put it together last year because his offensive line was so bad. I mean, maybe not all because of that, but the offensive line was definitely a huge part of it. So. I do worry that Joe Burrow is going to have some problems because of that, and the best thing you can hope for is that he won't develop bad habits. No, absolutely. That's a great point, and something that the Bengals will have to have in place for him, but in spite of the offensive line being bad, I am glad, Chris, you brought up that the Bengals actually have a lot more offensive talent, or at least a potential for it, than I think some people would think if if you just look at their record last year. I think A.J. Green this year could kind of be like, you know, Derek Mason was for Joe Flacco in his rookie year. You know, an older veteran who's who's past his prime, but is, you know, the dependable outlet. And I'm high on Alden Tate. I like Alden Tate's game. I think he's got the NFL body to be a very solid possession receiver in this league. I think he's another guy that Burrow could really connect with and— while the offensive line is going to be a struggle for him, the cupboard's definitely not bare as far as potential playmakers around him. Yeah, definitely. And I think the, you know, kind of wrapping this up a little bit. So I think the the two other picks uh, that are particularly interesting for the Bengals that they made in the 2020 draft are um, in the third and fourth round. So they picked up two linebackers, uh, linebacker Logan Wilson and Akeem Davis Gaither uh, in the fourth round. And so honestly, I think for me, what this is showing is that uh, they definitely had a, a big problem in linebacker depth uh, for the Bengals last year. They definitely need to bolster the unit. They need to get more talent there. You know, they need players uh, like this who can be able to tackle, uh, who can be able to stuff the run, and be able to contain Lamar Jackson. Period. They need it. And so these two guys are supposed to, you know, enter the room. I don't know if either of them are expected to start this year, but they're definitely expected to be put in the rotation uh, for the linebacker core. And, you know, I think with that and with adding, you know, Reader, as we talked about earlier, you know, I, I think that has kind of the potential to, you know, make their defense a little bit better than it was last year. The difficult thing really is just looking at the rest of the teams in the division, looking at the Ravens, and then trying to figure out like, okay, you know, how much better can the Bengals get? Because I think there are a lot of you know good things that did happen, but you also kind of have to look at their roster and be like, well, it's still not particularly strong, so how many more wins do you think they're going to be able to get out this year? For me, I could see maybe like six and ten, seven and nine, maybe you know, assuming Burrow doesn't like completely light the league up or something, that's kind of where I see him at because I think that they're still going to have some holes. I think corner is going to be something that's still a big question mark. You know, O-line, question mark. Uh, linebacker is still a question mark. So it's it's going to be really interesting, I think, to, to follow the Bengals this year. I agree with that take. I, I think I could see the best case for the Bengals kind of being, you know, I think they're going to struggle the first half of the year, but maybe be one of those teams that, you know, it has 
a stronger second half than first half, maybe even post a winning record down the stretch. And you'll, you'll see some positive growth out of, out of Burrow and, and Tate and Higgins and some of the other younger players enough to entice a fan base, but definitely not enough to threaten for, I guess now it's threatening for the seventh seed in the playoffs since we have that now, but there's potential for this team, but it's going to be a couple seasons before the Bengals are back to being that thorn in the Ravens side that it's a team the Ravens always feel like they can beat, but the game always, always sloppy and a lot harder battle than anticipated going in. I think this team has a lot of potential. You know, it all kind of rides. Like we always discuss, this quarterback position is so important back in this league on Joe Burrow's success. Um, but they're definitely rebuilding. I'm glad they're giving the time to Zach Taylor to actually do this right. I think too often we see these teams kind of abort mid-mission and then you have to start all over again. Um, that's actually why I was so glad to see that the Ravens kept Harbaugh on. Um, I was really concerned when there was all these talks about getting rid of it. I didn't think it was the right move. And I think we've seen the successes of that. So, yeah, definitely curious to see how this team shapes up. Like you said, if you look at that offense, you see a lot of talent. And then, of course, the defense are trying to build up. And it's going to take some drafts, but it'll get there. All right. So now moving on from a team who's got a better plan on offense than defense, we move to the Ravens' chief rival in the division over the past two decades, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who, you know, last year... Their defense, very good. One of the best in the league. Very fearsome. Gave the Ravens some fits when the Ravens were in Pittsburgh early in the season. But there are a lot of questions on offense for this team. And I think if you look at this team, the defense is young. There's a lot of good, young, strong players on that defense. But the offense is a mix of aging players and young players that there's a lot of question marks about. So when we're talking about the Steelers, we have to start out with the quarterback position because, you know, Ben Roethlisberger has been a rock of consistency for the Steelers since he came in as rookie year in 2004. Uh, thanks to, I think it was an Adelius Thomas sack on Tommy Maddox that launched yeah. the <laughs> career of big Ben. Fun fact. I was at that game. I saw that happen. Of no interest to anyone but myself. But so, <laughs> where were you when you were watching that game? I was at the Annunciation Library. Thanks, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so I think, you know, Roethlisberger at the age of 38, he's going to try again. You know, it feels like he's been talking about retirement for the past five years, and he played all of one and a half games last year. We'll see what he has left in the tank. Um, he only posted a 27.1 QBR over those six quarters. No touchdowns to just an interception. Granted, those games were against New England and Seattle, so it's not like he was playing weak defenses, but that's an insanely small sample size as well. But, you know, there are some other older quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Obviously, Brady and Breeze, who are still playing at a high level. Uh, Rivers seems to have s slowed down, but that might have just been an off year last year. I don't know. What do you guys think how much uh, Ben has left in the tank? I don't know, man. I, <laughs> if you ask me personally, I guess I, I'm feeling like this is his last year of, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't imagine the Steelers wanting to 
bring him back like a year after if you know if they don't make the playoffs this year it's like i mean you you can't just you can't you know mortgage you know your your franchise to a quarterback who's who's 38 he's already been talking about retiring for the past five years or six years you never know if he's going to be back like i i just don't i don't think i don't see the steelers wanting to buy into that i just i feel like at one point they're just going to be like okay ben thanks you know we're we're gonna move in a different direction. I don't think this was the year because unfortunately, the other quarterbacks that they had on the roster were not the answers. And I think at this point they're kind of stuck in a bad place where they're like, well, uh, we don't have the answer to our next quarterback on the roster, but we kind of got to stick with Ben at least for one more year. But I really don't see him being back uh, the year after. I think it's notable that I don't know, Chris. Do you remember where you were when you watched? Ben Roethlisberger take on the starting role and never let it go? I don't, actually. I don't know if I watched a ton of football that year, 2004. Okay. Fair enough. But I think it is interesting, right? Like, Peter and I both remember where we were. And I think that's a testament to, like, this guy came in. He had immediate success. And he's been pretty stellar for a long time. A lot of people think he's a Hall of Fame candidate. But that being said, I'm kind of surprised he's coming back at all. Similar to what you were saying, Chris, he's been talking about retirement for a while here. This injury is no joke that he's coming back from. Uh, a lot of MLB players suffer from this. It's much more common there. And it he's on a aggressive timeline for being able to throw again. Now, granted, it's a little bit different, you know, of emotion per se. Mm-hmm. But uh, they were saying that, yeah, if you took at the timeline that they normally put for pitchers, I mean, he wouldn't be throwing like this until uh, the end of the season, right? Maybe. So... It's kind of surprising that he's already out throwing the ball. And we'll see. I, I don't have much hope for him this year, unfortunately. I think we remember how Joe never was the same coming back from his injury, and it wasn't his arm. Now, granted, you know, the back is very big part of it, too. But, like, I just, like you were saying, man, they have a really talented roster. Are you going to mortgage the success of your team against an aging quarterback like this? I don't know. I think it might be time to move on. If they could have moved on this year, I think they would have, right? If if Rudolph or Hodges was the real deal, maybe we wouldn't be talking about this. Yeah, I agree with you guys on that. It is kind of perplexing that the Steelers, who are such a, a well-run franchise, don't really seem to have an answer for the quarterback position right now. It's not just this one injury that Ben's coming back from. It's this injury compounded on all the other injuries he's had throughout his career. You know, it's really felt like every year there were at least a couple of games he missed for a various injury. Most memorable, of course, although he didn't actually lose any game time from this, was Helodinata's artistic take on uh, his nose. We all remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the free agent quarterback pool wasn't great this offseason. I don't know about you guys. I guess this could still happen. I've been a little surprised that uh, Cam Newton's name hasn't been linked to the Steelers at all. Now, that could be for a myriad of reasons. I don't know if the if the Steelers want to pay what what Newton feels like he's worth, especially because you're just going from one veteran quarterback with injury questions to, admittedly, one who's a lot younger um, and has potential, theoretically, if he comes back from the injuries, to have the, the quarterback position solidified for longer, but... Yeah, I mean, Cam Newton's still out there, I guess, if the Steelers did want to turn the tires on that, because uh, if Roethlisberger isn't ready to go for a full season, 
I don't think Steeler fans are going to be really happy of, about watching this offense run with a combination of, of Rudolph and Hodges again. I remember watching you write this, Peter, and thinking to myself, yes, Cam Newton, he makes so much sense in a Steelers uniform. I hate to see him, even though I like to call him Scam Newton, but you know, I think he could bounce back from that injury, and I think he could be productive. We know what he can do. I think he'd be a great fit. And it, I think it might be a salary cap issue, like you mentioned, that's keeping them from going that route. Or maybe just uh, Cam's desire to be a starter. But uh, yeah, he would be a great fit. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously we'll see what happens there. But if the Steelers don't have a good answer at quarterback, you know, usually we've seen them roll out offenses with very strong running backs, whether it had been, you know, Jerome Bettis, Willie Parker, Le'Veon Bell. They've had a lot of great names go through that backfield. But right now they're having an identity crisis there too, I feel, because James Conner, who did step in to take over for Le'Veon Bell in 2018 and have a, a very respectable year, really didn't have that great a production last year. And there's already, Conner's been making some shady posts on his Instagram, and there's been some not super high votes of confidence coming out of Tomlin's mouth when discussing his place on the team going forward. And you got to wonder what if the Steelers really have a, a back that scares you right now. But at the same time, you could argue that between Connor, Benny Snell, Jalen Samuels, as well as rookie Anthony McFarland from the University of Maryland that the Steelers drafted in the fourth round this year, they do at least give you four different running backs that can keep a defense on their toes, albeit not one of them. Well, we'll see from McFarland, you know, is really a guy you would have carry a team down the field. What I would say about that is I kind of hear you about James Conner maybe being another Alex Collins, kind of one good year, falls off, and then disappears player. I think he's better than that. I think he's better than Alex Collins. But I have been really interested and intrigued by Anthony McFarlane. I know you're saying that you don't think you can lean on him as a number one back uh, the whole time. That's probably true. The younger talent and Benny Snell in particular that could uh, kind of maybe round that out. I don't really see Jalen Samuels as that interesting of a player. He might be the odd man out um, if they don't want to keep four running backs. Yeah, Samuels they really used mainly as a receiving threat last year. Right. As far as him being him used as a running back, I mean, his yards per carry average pretty much got chopped in half despite having pretty much the same amount of carries, which wasn't terribly many at 60. So yeah, he kind of seems like a guy that they had him on the roster last year, so they used him in the receiving part of the game. And he did have a couple of big games, including, you know, he had eight catches against Cincinnati and 13 against Indianapolis. But McFarland is interesting for them as like a third round, third down back. Um, ran a 4-4-4, 40-yard dash, which is faster than any of the other backs on the roster. So I, I'm just looking at these guys, and I think that the Steelers' best way to use these guys would be as a, a three-headed attack. But I'm not super high on Connor. I, I, I do agree. I think he's better than Alex Collins, but I just see him kind of in the vein of those, those type of backs like Justin Forsett, Terrence West. Is like They had a season where they were really hot, but I don't think he, his talent is up to most starting running backs in the league. For sure. I mean, if they didn't have to spend all that money re to re-sign uh, Le'Veon Bell, I mean, they would have 
definitely preferred to keep him, right? I mean, he's a player that you can build a franchise around. Yeah, unfortunately, they probably haven't gotten the production that they wanted from this uh, running back committee uh, to replace that. Maybe they did in 2018, uh, but 2019, definitely, they, uh, you know, probably could have used a guy to, to give them a little bit more production that year. Moving on to the wide receivers and tight ends. Uh, this is another group that's on the surface looks like it's weaker than previous years, but you know, they've got some young guys who might be worth looking at. Obviously, Juju Smith-Schuster's there who had an off year last year battling through a knee injury, and it was his first year being the, the number one receiver for the Steelers after Antonio Brown left. Juju's interesting, I think, because I, he's, he's obviously got a lot of talent, but you got to wonder, I, you look at some of the, the past wide receivers the Steelers have had as guys like Heinz Ward, obviously, Antonio Brown, Santonio Holmes, Mike Wallace, who was with the Ravens for a couple years. I don't know if Juju is quite on the level of those guys, if you know what, what I'm saying, but still, he's had a great start to his career, and... Steelers are obviously going to try everything they can to get him the ball. I think Juju is a fascinating character in football because we saw him have all that success alongside Antonio Brown, right? And then Antonio Brown goes away and he doesn't have nearly the success. Now, he had bad quarterback play, right? He also didn't have a perfect mark of healthiness. This guy had one of the best production for a young wide receiver ever in the league right? His like age over yards was unheard of and he was just killing. But for some reason, similar to you, Peter, I look at him and I don't think he's as good as Heinz Ward or, or maybe even Plexiglass. Definitely not Antonio Brown, right? <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. I don't think he is. Even though he has all that talent, I just, for some reason, he doesn't scare me like that. And uh, I think he's just a fascinating player. So th- yeah, this year coming up uh, will be a huge year for him to kind of see, will he bounce back? Yeah. I mean, I think he definitely could. Other thing to remember, guys, when he came into the league, he was super young. I mean, he's only 23 years old. So, I mean, he's still got a lot of football ahead of him. Now, whether it's all with the Steelers, I mean, I agree with you, Alec. I think this next year is going to be uh, a definitely a year for him to kind of cement himself as like, yeah, I'm going to be a Steeler long term. Well, in addition to Juju, the Steelers also have Deontay Johnson, who's a rookie last year. I didn't realize this, but he was playing through a hamstring injury for a significant chunk of the year. Apparently, he suffered that in late September. And yet still, like we were saying, with that inconsistent quarterback play and that hamstring injury, was able to put up a respectable 59-catch, 680-yard, five-touchdown season. You know, he's got some speed there, and I think he definitely showed some flashes of a guy who could be a dependable number two for this team. Uh, we'll see how his second year goes. And then the Steelers drafted in this year's draft, uh, Miles Boykin's old teammate, Chase Claypool. He's got a similar build to Boykin. Like Boykin, he's 6'4". Uh, they both ran 4.42.40, where Claypool's got a little bit different than Boykin is he's got about 20 pounds on him, at least as it's listed. Uh, Claypool's listed around 238, Boykin at 220. So it'll be interesting to see how he fits into the offense. I think he could be a sleeper for this team. Man, oh man. Pittsburgh does it again. It's so frustrating, right? Now, granted, uh, Deontay Johnson was like a high third-round pick, 66 overall. But man, they draft this guy, and he was pretty darn good. It's like, 
they don't have to spend all this crazy draft capital to have a great wide receiver. They just do it every single dang time. It drives me nuts. They're great at evaluating wide receiver talent. We need to like figure out how they do it and then uh, just, just steal their playbook. But I think the Ravens are getting better. You know, Hollywood Brown, Miles Boykin, they're, they're definitely uh, you know, producing. So maybe uh, those woes are behind us. But, oh gosh, it's hard not to be jealous of that. And then, yeah, Chase Claypool, very interesting player. Um, like you said, very similar to Boykin, but he has the extra weight. And that extra weight was actually one of the reasons people were talking about him potentially being a tight end. You know, he could transition to the tight end role. I don't think we're going to see that with this team, particularly as we go into their tight end room and kind of seeing the, the talent they have there. Um, and I think there's nothing wrong with him being a bigger wide receiver. I mean, that's going to be menacing for our cornerbacks for years to come if he develops like people expect him to. Yeah, definitely. I do think it's funny you bring up how Ravens fans are kind of jealous about how well the Steelers draft uh, wide receivers, because I think you could also look at it the opposite way in that the Ravens have had way more success drafting tight ends than the Steelers have had over the past you know, <laughs> <laughs> decade or so, which is why the Steelers had to go to the free agency market to get a new starting tight end. Picked up Eric Ebron, most recently of the Indianapolis Colts, previously the Detroit Lions, and always of the drop football. <laughs> 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 Oh, hot take. Hot take. <laughs> Except for the year he caught 13 touchdowns. That is true. Like, yes. Oh, yes. Eric Ebron. <laughs> 2018 with uh that was with Andrew Luck, right? Yeah, Andrew Luck's final final season presumably unless he changes his mind in the NFL. Uh Eric Ebron had a breakout year, but last year he went back to his uh pretty much his career average totals as far as a receiving perspective. Yeah, this guy's been in the league six years. I think that you have to look at 2018 as it was probably an aberration. But, you know, maybe maybe he does come come along in Pittsburgh. Uh, he, he is always at least good for a couple breakout games a year. And then outside of Ebron, Vance McDonald's still around. Still hasn't done a huge amount since that stiff arm play against Tampa Bay two years ago. But, yeah, I mean, this is a position group that... I'm curious if I if I miss someone, Alec, because you seem to think that uh, there's a lot of talent in this in this room when you're mentioning that Claypool might not transition to tight end. No, I just think like if they invest in Eric Ebron, I think Vance McDonald doesn't totally suck, right? Like, I mean, I I think they don't have that. That's all. Right. Yeah, I mean McDonald's he's de- he's a dependable player. Um, I just think he's nothing more than a probably hardly higher than a, a league average at the position. Oh yeah. Yeah, tight end just in general across the league needs some help. I mean, where wide receiver needs no help, right? Like, there's so <laughs> many good wide receivers in the league. It's ridiculous. Tight end needs help. Uh, tight end does not have that kind of uh, skill all around it. And then moving to the offensive line for the Steelers, I think an interesting thing to note with the Steelers, for this position group, you've had three of the starting positions, left tackle, center, and right guard in Alejandro Nuevo, Marquise Pouncey, and David DeCastro have been the same guys. And I think that level of consistency on an offensive line is something that isn't seen as much in the NFL. So I think that's that was an interesting note. DeCastro has been a seven-year starter with the Steelers, and Pouncey's been there forever as nine years. So you still got that chemistry going for you as the Steelers add. Steven Wisniewski will be their starting left guard this year. Fun fact about him, he grew up in Pittsburgh as a Steelers fan, so he gets to move from Philadelphia back to his hometown. And then right tackle, they've got 
a guy who's been more of a developmental guy, Matt Filer, who took over for the injured David Gilbert early 2018 and hasn't lost the, the starting job yet. So for whoever is getting the majority of the carries from the running back position for the Steelers, uh, they've got a pretty good offensive line to run behind. The defensive side of the football for the Steelers is definitely the stronger unit of the two looking at this team right now. I think it is interesting. Uh, ESPN had an article recently where they were interviewing Tomlin about the current makeup of the Steelers, and he was talking about how the Steelers, they have a, a mentality this year of how they're going out to to hunt because he noted that the Ravens, Browns, and, and Bengals are all you know stacked with Heisman Trophy winners. Not that that necessarily means anything in NFL standards, but the Ravens with Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, Browns with Baker Mayfield, we already said, talked about how the jury's out on him, and now you got Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. The Steelers, at least from the cornerback, uh, sorry, quarterback and running back position are at a disadvantage when you compare them to those other teams. So they've gone against the grain, Ravens, Browns, and Bengals, while they're not ignoring the defense, they're putting more resources into the offense. Well, Ravens are balanced, but Steelers and Browns, I mean, Bengals and Browns, more into the offense than the defense. And the Steelers are, are focusing on loading up on their young and talented defense. If you look at these guys, you know, across the board, I would say they probably have about seven core guys who they're building around. And first, you got to start, I think, with their linebacker room, which is one of the more impressive ones in the league. Bud Dupree last year had a breakout season with 11 and a half sacks. You had Devin Bush was drafted in the first round last year, had a 70-tackle season, was very productive for them. And T.J. Watt, kind of quietly, I think, you know, has racked up 34 and a half sacks over his first three seasons in the league. Believe it or not, that's only three less than his brother J.J. Watt had through his first three seasons. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Their cornerback, their secondary is not as good as the Ravens, but it's pretty close. You know, we were making fun of the Steelers last year being like, who would give up a first round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick? That seemed like it was too much of a, of a gamble. But in the end, I think it's actually worked out pretty well for the Steelers. They turned around their defense with that pick. You know, Fitzpatrick's only 23, pair him with Terrell Edmonds, who is also 23. And you've got the best young safety duo in the NFL back there. Cornerback, they're not as strong as safety, but they're balanced with Joe Hayden and Steven Nelson. And then I think if you're looking for a weakness for this defense, the defensive line isn't as strong as his other two positions. Still got Cameron Hayward there. He's getting a little bit up there in age at 31. Stephon Tuitt has been a pretty key piece of their defensive line recently. They got Chris Wormley there now. We'll see if that's a tipping point for the defense. Wasn't really for the Ravens, but... (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think if you're looking for a position group where the Steelers have questions, you know, they got some some young guys who could step up, but defensive line is where this team is a little a little weaker. Yeah, it brings up a good point because I wanted to say something when you uh when you hit on TJ Watt and comparing him to uh JJ. 
Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I I hate looking at football talks on um, or football takes on Instagram because they're just absolute garbage. You'll have like like a post that's like breaking news, like whatever, and it's just like something. It's not breaking news at all. It's just somebody decided to make a picture and put breaking on it. But uh, now one of the things, one of these takes that I've seen recently, I absolutely hate, and you know it's because I think JJ Watt had said something in the media, and he's like, you know, oh, I don't want to, you know, uh, hold out because I want to prove that I'm, you know, worth the money that the Texans gave me. And some people have been interpreting that into like, oh, he wants out of the Texans. Maybe he's tired of Bill O'Brien or something. And I saw a picture of JJ in a Steelers uniform reuniting with his brother and I just it, it made me vomit a little bit. I'm like, I like I like JJ Watt way too much for him to go to our arch rival. I would hate that. Oh God, I really don't want to see that happen. But Dan Peter, if you're telling me that their D-line is a little weak right now. That's making me a little worried that J.J. might be going there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I will say, yeah, T.J. Watt, I think he has been a little quiet from the perspective of getting those sacks. You know, I, don't, I know he's great, and I know because he's in our division, but I kind of feel like in the zeitgeist of the NFL, people don't talk about T.J. Watt like that. So that's a good analysis. I feel like you left him here for me to talk about. Alex Highsmith, he was my darling in our draft analysis. He went in the third round. So like I said, I hope he sucks. And uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> this defense is scary when you lift it out this way. You know, Devin Bush is no joke at the middle linebacker position. And then, like you said, the defensive line needs some work. And they didn't really address it in the draft. Their last pick was a defensive lineman. But, uh, you know, it'd be kind of surprising if Carlos Davis out in Nebraska at 232 overall is the, the savior of that unit. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think it's definitely an interesting team. You know, they picked up... Uh, former Terp Antoine Brooks to also play as safety. So he might be a good value in the sixth round to learn behind those two younger guys and maybe contribute in some packages. So, yeah, I think the Steelers defense, like you said, they've been pounding it year after year to get the very scary unit that they have today. I think the interesting thing to still talk about with the Steelers is what their window is currently. You know, we obviously we're saying Roethlisberger... It's probably his last year with the team, and who knows how much he's even going to play this year. This team's been a rock of consistency, you know, since the calendar turned to 2000. They've only had one losing season, six and ten, which was 2003. They did have four, eight and eight finishes, twelve playoff seasons, but you know they did have Ben Roethlisberger for a pretty healthy portion of that time period. So I think we we might be on different sides of this, but. You guys want to go first as you think, are the Steelers going to come back as a threat this year? And is the Ravens rivalry going to go on for a few more years? Or are the Steelers about to hit a rebuilding mode as Ben retires? All right, Peter. So we had a little bit of a conversation about this before the show started. But, you know, you did a pretty good job of convincing me that maybe their window isn't as far shut as I was assuming. I struggle to see this team succeed in our division in the AFC, unless Big Ben comes back, guns a-blazing. That said, if you're talking about from a window perspective, not just this season, they have a chance. Because if you put a serviceable quarterback there, and you just continue to build with draft pieces, and you don't lose too many people from free agency, I don't know what their position is in that regard. They have all the components, and it seems like they're younger players, so I'd assume that they're not going anywhere, to be you know, a team worth talking about. I mean, actually, yeah, I'm seeing now in some of your notes, 
their their players who are committed through 2022. Uh, yeah, I think I think they definitely could uh, compete for years to come. And uh, you know, we I think we've we've left each of these teams saying <laughs> I think they can compete. So I think our division is going to be really interesting. Yeah, I think I mean I, I think it's a good take. I mean the, the the only thing different I think I'd say about it is that it really depends on Roethlisberger. Uh, it, in my mind, I kind of see they probably have a year, maybe two left uh, with Roethlisberger. Um, in my opinion, you know I don't really think he's going to come back uh, to the way he was before. I think the the weapons he's going to have around him are just going to be totally different. He's not going to have Antonio Brown there <laughs> unless. Antonio Brown decides to come back. The oh my Steelers gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Dude, talking about bad takes on Instagram. Everyone and their brother thinks he's going to come to the Ravens, and I'm not saying like. Actually, listener Nick has been wanting us to talk about this for a while, so it might be worthwhile just to have a brief tangent about this. But Antonio Brown, like, I'd be shocked based off what the Ravens have done in the draft and free agency if they were to bring him in. Um, I don't think they have the cap room for it, etc. But uh, yeah, like I keep seeing that as a take like oh he's coming to the ravens like him and lamar have been chum chum and you know they haven't outright said no yeah. Harbs and uh da costa like yeah. it's happening it's brewing <laughs> i don't know yeah i don't want him yeah i think jadavion Clowney to the ravens is more likely and i don't put the percentage very high <laughs> on that happening right right yeah but in any case i mean yeah i mean that, that's kind of how i see it i i see that they're they they're probably gonna have a window for the next year or two after that, in my opinion, you know, the Steelers defense is too good to let the team overall be a bottom feeder team. I kind of see the Steelers going through the same thing that the Ravens did through 2016 to like 2018, in which we didn't really call it a rebuilding year. But in hindsight, I think you look at it and you're like, okay, yes, they were rebuilding years. And that like the team was still competitive, but it really wasn't, they really were not good enough to compete for a playoff spot. Or you know, get one once they got to the playoffs, really make a run for it. We were, you know, for those couple of years, we were just on the outside of the playoffs, just enough to make, you know, uh, make ourselves just you know lose sleep over some of the horrific losses that we had, uh, twenty sixteen uh, against the Steelers, twenty seventeen against the Bengals, uh, until the Steelers find that next quarterback of the future. I feel like that's kind of the transition that they're going to go through. But as soon as they pick that guy, I think their window could probably reopen. Yeah, I th- I really think I fall really with what you just said with that last sentence. In, t- in today's NFL, it's so much about the quarterback, even if you have a top-five defense, which the Steelers are, look like they're going to have over the next couple year- seasons. You really need something better than what their current quarterback room is. And if you don't, I mean the running backs really aren't terribly great either. But I think the defense is just so intriguing and you've got so many young names that I would think if there's one team that could go in the the modern NFL and be a consistent threat to to go deep in the playoffs with a defense that's much better than their offense, I think this Steelers team would be one that would be able to, which is why the the Steelers are always going to scare me. I don't care if they have five bad seasons in a row starting now. I just think this team has so much built built up so much of a reputation over the past two decades, and even before that. I mean, you look at every decade of football through at least as back far as the nineteen seventies, and the Steelers have been 
a top team. So I do agree that their offense does not look as good as years past, but I'm not betting against the Steelers. I think that Ravens and Steelers are going to be vying for the division crown this year. And the Browns and Bengals will be improved, but probably, as I'm looking at it right now, which really doesn't mean anything, it's going to be the AFC North is going to come down to the Steelers and Ravens this year. That's my prediction. As it should be. (laughs) (laughs) As God intended. (laughs) The Ravens and Steelers will always be the two teams competing. Well, I think this was a great conversation, guys. I, I was looking at the doc yesterday and seeing all our notes, and I was really hyped up to talk to you guys, and it didn't disappoint. Yeah, it's been fun. And uh, I think we got an, another fun one coming up, too, because we were talking about maybe ending this episode with kind of giving a tying this back to the Ravens and a top five list of who we think are the most essential players for the Ravens over the next decade. But. We like that topic so much and thought we could talk so much about it that that's probably going to be a future episode, maybe our next one. Yeah, talk about that. Talk about matchups going forward in the division. Um, I think there's a lot to talk about there. So stay tuned for that episode. Definitely come in this offseason. And with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Ravens Recap. Thank you so much for sticking with us uh, through this offseason and hope you enjoyed this episode where we kind of bounced back and took a different perspective than normal looking at the other teams in the division and how they'll like we mentioned the way that they shape themselves is going to be a big driver for how the ravens look to go forward and be able to claim the afc north year after year make sure to leave us a review on apple Podcasts or google Podcasts. tell a friend about our show listenership's been great this offseason and make sure to follow us on twitter ravens underscore recap the website ravensrecap.com and with that we'll see you later take care